Bloomberg Surveillance with Michael McKee and Tom Keane. On demand via our Bloomberg Radio Plus app. Free for iPhone and Android devices. Bill, uh, we are creating jobs. I see the temporary employment dynamics and all. Are these good jobs we're creating? Well, that's the question. Are they good jobs? Um, you know, I suspect that uh, some of them are, are not great jobs. Uh, some of them are at uh, minimum wage and a little bit higher. And, um, you know, the, the average income of, of American workers is proceeding higher, but not at a very rapid pace. I noticed that the hours worked in this uh, yeah. particular report didn't increase. Yes, the participation rate went up, and I think uh, Yellen and company would be uh, heartened by that because uh, to the extent that it keeps going up, it means more and more people are coming back into the workforce and takes pressure off of their uh, Phillips curve and off of their uh, Taylor models. So it, uh, it it's not exactly a a robust model from the standpoint of a hike. Uh, it may be a robust uh, model from the standpoint of increasing economic growth, which I expect in this quarter to be about 2%. How far away from normal is Janet Yellen's Fed? I think they're at, at least um, 100 to 200 basis points higher in their dots uh, than normal. And the, the normal is really being fought out uh, in academic circles. Most of the research has come from the San Francisco Fed. Um, they say that uh, at the moment that a 0% real uh, you know, Fed funds rate uh, might be the appropriate rate, which would put it uh, about at uh, 1.5%. Uh, the blue dots are significantly higher in the out years. And so, um, you know, I, th- I think the Fed still has some rethinking to do. But l- let me mention a point on that, Tom. I think the Fed uh, basically, they're not faking the numbers, but uh, they want the market to... Um, to believe that that hikes might come sooner and faster than expected, and that means a positive yield curve. Uh, this economy, the finance industry, banks, insurance companies, all need a positive yield curve to uh, to make substantial profits. And so to the extent that those blue dots are higher than what they might really think, if they really thought about it, uh, then, uh, you know, that favors bank margins, and I, I think what they're really shooting for is a positive yield curve as opposed to being practical in where the, the real interest rate is going. Well, the question, Bill, is if you look at the projections the Fed made in December for the economy in 2016, we've basically hit all those benchmarks. So are they data-dependent or not? How is the market supposed to divine where the Fed is going mm-hmm. if they tell you we're going to raise rates based on these forecasts and then they don't? Well, they're global data dependent, and, and they don't want to admit that. They want to uh, pretend that they're the central banker for the United States. In fact, they're the central banker for the world, and they have global responsibilities because the dollar is the reserve currency. They won't really uh, put that in print. So uh, to the extent that uh, currencies move, to the extent that uh, markets have sinkholes uh, on a global basis, to the extent that emerging market countries do worse, they've been doing better in the last few weeks, um, then the Fed takes that into consideration. And so data dependency extends beyond the U.S. economy, although the Fed doesn't really want to admit it. Well, are we still worried about the dollar? The dollar has basically not moved over the last month and a half. Trade-weighted dollar has actually gone down, the trade-weighted dollar index. Even with this jobs report, there's uh, barely a move uh, in the uh, dollar index. Uh, Is that still a real concern? 
Well, it's a concern because of the lags. There's a 6 to 12-month lag, as you know, Mike, and uh, we're going to be seeing the effects of a stronger dollar for you know, at least another six months. But, yes, uh, the dollar has stopped going up, certainly against many of the emerging market countries. Mm-hmm. Uh, gosh, in Brazil, it's, uh, it's down by 10 15%. Um, so uh, it's getting better from that standpoint. And uh, to the extent that the dollar does weaken, you know, that's a benefit as well for S&P 500 global companies that uh, you know, have been affected by the strong dollar in the past. And now we'll see the tailwind going right. forward as we move into 2016. If you're just joining us on Bloomberg Television, Bloomberg Radio worldwide and across the nation, after the jobs report, Bill Gross of Janus Capital. Mr. Gross driving the markets higher. No, wait, Mike, it was a jobs report. Futures <laughs> up 2, now up 11. Dow futures up 85. And we've seen some significant yield moves, Mike. Buttressing out, I can give you the recent high. The recent high off the Bloomberg, January 27th. And we came down, down, down here, and we've come right back up and now broken out on the two-year uh, yield. Down we go and up, up, up into a higher yield. Michael McKee, the 10-year yield up four basis points, 1.87%. Well, Bill, what's the proper pricing for uh... Uh, bonds right now for the yield curve right now, given the fact that the economy seems to be coming back more strongly, but the Fed doesn't seem to be ready to do anything. Well, let's look at this two ways, Mike. Uh, One, from the standpoint of what the Fed would do uh, over the next 12 months, uh, you know, the market has factored in a one hike uh, and then one hike uh, in the year beyond that. Uh, Perhaps that's a little light, and so that would suggest Perhaps that the tenure um, is at a relatively low level compared to where it should be. Let's compare it, though, to the global market, and that's a, a key relative measure. I mean, Japanese tenures and Japanese 30 years have gone down by 30 or 40 or 50 basis points in the past four or five weeks. And, uh, of course, we have to compare the U.S. Treasury tenure to the German Bund tenure and, and take a spread there. And so it's not just what the Fed might do, but it's the comparison relative to global markets. And global markets, no doubt, are pulling down U.S. rates. And to the extent that Draghi, you know, next week, uh, you know, continues to go into negative territory and to the extent that uh, uh, the BOJ continues right. to move down into negative territory, then the U.S. Treasury is supported to some extent in price and uh, yields are capped right. to some extent. Bill, help me here with the oddities of the moment. I don't mean the San Francisco 40. Niners or American politics. I would suggest, Bill Gross, would you explain negative rates and what it means for Janus Capital and for your unconstrained portfolio? Well, sure. Uh, you know, obviously, uh, you only want to invest in negative rates if you think they're going more negative. That would produce a higher uh, price in terms of a bond. We don't really do that because uh, we think the, the move is limited and you can only go so negative before uh, domestic economies become uh, affected by it and it becomes destructive. What, what we're trying to do is basically range-bound uh, central banks. We believe that central banks won't move far, that they won't move fast, um, that these uh, 50 basis point hikes in the Fed and even less in terms of the U.K. and Japan and uh, the ECB, you know, that it produces right. a relative stasis. It doesn't mean that rates don't move four basis points on a morning. Right. But it does mean that the 10-year is bound within a 20-plus or 20-minus range, and so we sell okay. volatility around that, and it produces a much higher yield. I think people are surprised, Bill, by how strong hiring continues to be, given the fact that we have created so many jobs for so long and the unemployment rate is so low. 
the markets are going to ha- are the markets going to have a tough time accepting the fact that at some point we're going to slow down, but 150,000 jobs would still be a strong month. Well, it would be. Uh, let's face it, the Fed, though, is, is keen on wages. They, they focus on labor and, and labor conditions. And to them, uh, you know, if, if wages get out of hand, then inflation will get out of hand. You know, we notice this month, although there may be an aberration, as you've noted uh, 10 to 15 minutes ago, that, uh, you know, average hourly earnings uh, went down from 2.5 to 2.2 percent on a annual YOY basis. And so, uh, you know, definitely wages are uh, and hourly earnings are not out of control. If you factor in productivity perhaps at uh, 1%, then, you know, you've got inflation in the 1% category. It seems to me that uh, the, the Fed needs to focus on um, on those conditions and, and know uh, that a 2% inflation rate uh, is perhaps a long way off. You know, the break-evens in the tips market, almost worldwide, but let's talk about the U.S., almost uh, on all maturities from 5 to 10 to 20 to 30 years in maturity, um, the break-even inflation rate is about 1.4%, which means the market expects inflation for the next 30 years to be 1.4%. And so uh, why is the Fed so concerned about inflation when the market seem to be telling it that everything's okay? Ordinarily, you would say, go with the market. But if they're expecting that kind of inflation for 30 years, somebody's got to be uh, wrong somewhere. Well, I think so. Um, you know, to my way of thinking, when the demographics kick in, uh, when the boomers really get old and demand uh, medical care and uh, stop spending uh, money on consumption, then things will change dramatically. And that, to me, means higher inflation. But at the moment, the market doesn't see it that way. And certainly, to be fair, you know, for the next five years or the next two, three or four years, inflation seems you know, well under control unless commodities get a bid. Uh, right. Oil being the best example, going to Forty, fifty, sixty dollars. You know, unless that happens, then inflation is contained, as we see by you know the wage numbers today. Uh, Bill, I want to congratulate you on your latest note off Janus Capital. We always read them, we always like them. There's never been a bad one. This one, folks, is extraordinary, and it leads with the Citigroup chart, which drives me insane. And I'm so glad, Bill, oh. you did this. Christopher, <laughs> wander over here on Bloomberg Television. I'll put it out on Bloomberg Radio Plus. Citigroup at forty-two dollars a share is a fiction. That's after a 10-to-1 reverse split. Here we go. Up we go to $500 a share. Down we go to $42 a share. You make it clear, Bill, you're worried about permanent damage in our American banking system. Can you support your former employee, Neil Kashkari, in reviewing our too-big-to-fail banks? Well, my point wasn't exactly Neil's point, but Neil has a point. Uh, you know, there are banks that are too big to fail, and let's make sure that uh, we regulate them properly and that they have sufficient capital. I think they have been uh, recapitalizing, and they do have more capital than they had before. My point, um, by showing City at 500 and now at uh, 42, you know, basically said that many banks are, are like that, not to the same extreme, but uh, certainly in Europe with Credit Suisse and Deutsche Bank, 
bank. Uh, their earnings power going forward, not the, not the fact that they might be vulnerable to, to bankruptcy because they're recapitalized, but their earnings power going forward is limited because negative interest rates and because the yield curve appears to be relatively flat and will continue to be flat for a long time. That means their margins, their NIMS, will be limited, and it simply means to right. me that, well, you know, ba- banks are not a but, bad investment, but, you know, let's face it, they're in a new age with limited ability to increase earnings based upon this right. flat yield curve. But, Bill, critically, and Alan Greenspan speaks of this, you speak of this, our David Weston on Bloomberg Go pointed it out to me yesterday, credit growth is ramping up a little bit. Can you buy the idea that that's a symbol of a recovering America, or is that credit growth within banking a fiction? No, and I think we need it, and I think that's a critical element. You know, I'm monetarist. You know, I'm, uh, you know, sort of stuck on a on a uh, Hyman Minsky type of model where credit, you know, feeds economic growth. The, the two are related. Our finance-based economy depends on the perpetual creation of more and more credit, and so, yeah, the the rate is uh, three to four percent now. Perhaps it goes to five to six percent. I think in order to create a nominal GDP growth of four to five percent, which which is what the Fed wants to do, they need to create credit growth uh, much higher than that because, uh, you know, it's been evident in the past 10, 15 years that you need a much higher rate of uh, credit growth in order to stimulate a certain amount of nominal GDP growth. And so it's getting better, but it's still in the 4% area. And as long as it stays there, it's underneath, you know, the cost of capital in the system, which is about 6%. And if you can only grow nominal GDP by uh, f- uh, Four, if you can only grow credit by 4% um, with the cost of capital at 6 then uh, you know nominal GDP suffers and you can't get out of the hole. So yeah, credit growth is the key. You've got to find some way for the private system to generate it. The Fed has done their duty in terms of lowering interest rates and QE and all of that. But now the private system needs to take the bait. Some of it is occurring, but I, I, I think they need well, much more. Bloomberg Surveillance, weekday mornings at 7 Eastern. In New York on Bloomberg 1130. In Boston on 1200 AM and 94.5 FM HD2. Or on Sirius XM Satellite Radio Channel 119.